Good day and welcome to the Waystations Ministries podcast. I'm Greg Spencer with a light for your journey and a good word for the road. It's great to be traveling together and I thank you for coming with me. Let's ride together for a while. Hey friends, it's Greg, and it's great to be with you once again. Thank you for tuning in to the Waystations podcast. And uh, this is a, an interesting season. Today's theme is going to be about all the mess we do to ourselves and how do we get out of it. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can help that much, but I'm going to give it a shot. Because what I see is an awful lot of pain and limitation that we seem to impose on ourselves. So if there's a way that I can help to, to lift that up a little bit or open it up or enable us to find a way through it, maybe things can get a little bit better. So what, what are the things that, that are happening to us? What's, what are we doing to ourselves? Anybody ever feel guilty? Do you ever dwell on things that you've done? It could be recent, but it could be something long ago that you can't do anything about, and yet it still creeps into your mind every once in a while. And when it does, it drags your emotions down and drags your spirit down. Has that ever happened to you? There's other things we do. We try to take responsibility for things other people have done. We sometimes uh, burden ourselves with uh, expectations about things if we had done them differently. Sometimes we get upset and overwhelmed by thoughts about what other people have done to us, and we allow that to eat our hearts alive. There's an awful lot of mess that, left to our own devices, without any discipline of thought or spirit, we just allow ourselves to get consumed. And we do it to ourselves, and it's no fun, and we don't like it, and we wish it wouldn't happen. Well, I don't know that we can stop it from happening, but I do know that there are ways that we can get around it, or at least there are ways that with which we can deal with it. This is one of the things that Jesus talks about when he's with his disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. I thought that was a pretty powerful statement. It says that we can control our emotions, and we do so by some discipline about what we think, but also taking some responsibility, learning our lessons from the past. You've heard this cliche, too. If you don't learn from the past, you're going to be doomed to repeat it. And that's not good. What are the things that we do to ourselves? And we do them to ourselves over and over and over again. Well, if it's helpful, I think the Old Testament of the Scripture is is pretty helpful, uh, partly because it tells us stories. There's an awful lot of stories in the Old Testament of the Bible. And most of those stories are written with the purpose of communicating a message. Story is one of the best ways that we learn. And uh, this story that I want to share with you is, it's a riot. I don't think people often see the humor in the scripture, but if you, if you give it a little bit of time and a little bit of thought, you can see the, the humor in it. And I think that's very valuable. But let us not miss the point of the story when we're looking for the humor. Let's listen very carefully and see if maybe there's something in that story that can make a huge difference for us. So, there was this guy a long, long time ago. And the story that's told in the scripture about this guy is that he was always about himself. Everything was about uh, serving himself, providing for himself, getting advantage, taking advantage, trying to get whatever he wanted. That was the focus of his attention all the time. From the very beginning, the scripture starts about it happening even when he was born. So he lives his life that way. 
And the problem with living like that is that there's always consequences for the choice we make or the problems that we um, experience. And we always have to deal with those consequences. There was this guy um, who uh, had been in conflict with his brother because of his selfishness and self-focus. And he did it his whole life, always looking out for himself and always paying the price for it. And that's part of the story for us, that if we're focused so totally upon ourselves, don't be surprised when you feel frustration, when you feel guilt, uh, when you feel tension or fear or anxiety about dealing with other people, um, wondering about what the consequences are going to be, fearing if there's going to be consequences. This is stuff that happens to everybody. It happens to us all the time. And uh, that's what the point of this story is, I think. At one point, he has lived a, a fairly decent life. He has uh, uh, sold himself out for a while. He had to serve another guy for a long time because he didn't get what he wanted in the beginning, so he had to pay the price for that. He actually had to pay a double price. But at some point, he says, I need to go home. I need to go back to where I came from. I need to go back to my home country. I need to go back with my own family. I need to go back home. Now, the problem was that he imagined that his brother hated his guts. He imagined that whatever had happened in the intervening years, and we don't know if there was any contact between them or not, but what we do know is that he was scared to death about going back. And this is one of the things that happens. When we consume ourselves with the negative thoughts and negative emotions and allow them to eat our hearts away, we become very fragile. We become frail. We start to fear all kinds of things, not just consequences, but what if the person does this? What if they do that? Um, that's a problem that we have to deal with. But maybe we don't have to allow ourselves to become so afraid. Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. So anyway, this guy says, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to try to make things right. He, he's made a prosperous living for himself, and he's going to go home. So he leaves his countryside behind. He takes everything he owns with him. He takes his family with him. And uh, he had become very prosperous. He had all kinds of cattle, different uh, kinds of cattle. He had uh, great wealth in produce, and he had an abundant family. And so he's got it made from a lot of people's point of view. But as he goes home, as he starts to think about his brother, he says, you know what? I better tell him I'm coming. Let's see what happens if they know that I'm coming. Hopefully that'll smooth the waters or at least help us to prepare a little bit. So he sends his servants out and they go to communicate the message that their brother, their long lost brother is coming home. Now, the messengers return and they bring the response that came from the family. And what they say is... Um, Messengers returned and said, we came to your brother and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Now, it doesn't say any more than that. <laughs> What's it mean? 400 guys. Oh, my goodness. What's that mean? If he's afraid about going back in the first place and he tries to smooth the waters for going home and then he hears 400 guys are coming to meet him. Well, are they going to meet me in battle? His, his imagination is going to carry him to the worst possible consequence. And so he imagines that this is an army that's going to come and bring a contest to him. And so he's afraid. 
And he says, oh, man, what am I going to do here? He says, uh, I have to care for my family. I have to care for my household. I have to care for everything that I own, everything that has my name on it. So I guess what I'll do is I'll split them in half. I'll have half the group over here and half the group over there. So if these if these guys are an army against us and they destroy half, at least the other half survives. Now, that may seem logical to some, but <laughs> I don't know who you decide who lives and who dies. I don't know how you decide who gets to be in the first group and who gets to be in the second. But that's part of the comedy of it. It's laughable to think that I'm going to say half my family can go with this group and half my family can go with the other group. It suggests that he doesn't care about some, doesn't it? That's not the way we feel. That's not the way we care for one another. That's not what it means to have family. And if he's going to be restored with family, it's it's totally ridiculous to think that he would write off a half a bunch or to think that one side or the other will be able to survive. But that's the ludicrousness of what happens when we allow fear to drive our thoughts. That's the ludicrousness that happens when we allow guilt or shame or memory to drive our thinking and to help us shape our choices. And this is one of the problems that I think a lot of us have. We live in a world today where values are not that important. We don't value values. So people are driven by something else. They don't have a guide for how they live. They don't have a path to follow. And so they react to what they think at the time or what they feel at the time. And usually that's not very reliable. It's very fickle. It changes all the time. And it's not that secure. So we end up being anxious and afraid an awful lot of the time. So that's what happened to this guy. Now what he does is he prays. He does everything. He pulls out all the stops. I'm afraid. I'm going to divide my family. I'm going to protect them somehow if I possibly can. Uh, I'll see if I can't bribe them ahead of time. Maybe I can make a deal. Uh, But at the last minute, he says, you know what? I need to pray. Maybe God can get into this action. Maybe God can help me out. He says, hey, God. He says, you said to me in my heart, I know it came from you. Return to your country and to your brethren, to your family, and I will do you good. Kind of sounds like he's saying, hey, this is your fault. (laughs) He certainly feels afraid because what he then says is, I'm not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and faithfulness that you've given me because I came to this new country with only a staff and I crossed the river and entered this new life and now I have become two companies of people. I have a great household and great prosperity. So, you've done me an awful lot of good, but now as I'm going back, oh, deliver me from the hand of my brother. Don't let us get wiped out because we're going back. You sent me, you inspired me, you said, I've got to go back, so I'm going back. I'm trying to be faithful, but he could come and kill us all. So, I ask you to deliver me. And yet you told me that you're going to do good. And you're going to make my offspring like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted because of their number. So, hey, take care of me, bud. (laughs) He sends his family across. This cracks me up. Before he crosses the river, he stays on one side and he sends ahead of him. Get this now. This is the, the prize he sends in advance. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 calves and 21 rams. 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys, and these he sent in the hand of his servants, every drove by itself. 
And he said to his servants, you guys go on ahead of me and put a space between each drove. In other words, each group of animals are going to be separated by some amount of space. So try to imagine this. He's got all of these animals coming over one group at a time. It's like one blessing after another, one bribe after another, more and more and more and more. And maybe by the time we get through all of that, they'll have softened their hearts a little bit because of their prosperity having been so increased by this wonderful, lavish gift that I've provided. And maybe I won't get croaked after all. (laughs) I don't know if that's what he was thinking, but it sure sounds like it, doesn't it? Let's do some bribery. In other words, he hasn't changed his character at all. He's still concerned about himself. He's still concerned about what's going to take place. And he's always thinking that way. We don't change our stripes that much, and that's what's happened to him. So sending them all across, I don't, I'm not sure if he sent his family across before him or not. But what happens is he sends them all across the river, and he's all by himself on the other side of the river. And after that, while he's there, he runs into a guy. The way it says it in the scripture is, um, the same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream. And likewise, everything he had, he's left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, that's struggling. If you're fighting against somebody, I don't know if you know anything about martial arts, or if you've ever seen any boxing or MMA or anything like that. But the battles that you see usually are less than two minutes long. In the boxing, they have 12 rounds, but those are two or three minute rounds. Most fights do not last two or three minutes long. Most fights are over very, very quickly. So to imagine this man fighting and wrestling with someone all night long, it's hard to imagine that they would have the strength to do that. It's hard to imagine that they would have the spirit or the, or the, the smarts to be able to do that. He, he goes beyond the point of exhaustion. He goes beyond the point of reasonable victory. And they're fighting all night long until the sun starts to come up. Now, the man who is fighting with him, when he sees that he could not prevail against Jacob, that's his name, by the way, he struck him on the side in his hip. And the hip was knocked out of joint. So you can imagine the pain that that would experience and the, uh, the inability to move well with your legs because of it. But as he wrestles with him, he says, hey, let me go. It's been all night. It's the next day. Let me go. And this is the irony of the story. The man named Jacob says to the man that is unnamed, I'll let you go when you bless me. Imagine what that would mean. I fought with you. I can't win. You can't win. But I'm not going to let you go. I'm not certainly not going to let you go so that you can attack me again. I'll let you go when you bless me and my life. It says, if you are willing to be at peace with me, then I can be at peace with you. But to let you go and to make myself a victim again, that I'm not going to do. And so the man blesses him. And that is the, the most important story of this very famous guy whose name was Jacob. The man named Jacob, his name was changed that night. They changed his name to uh, something that you would know very well today. His name was changed because he fought with God and he survived. 
The name that he was given was Israel. And I think you know that name. That is a name that is revered because of the country that it comes from. And that people identify themselves with this guy whose name was Jacob. And what a jerk he was. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. What a jerk we are. We do the same kinds of things, don't we? These are the kinds of things that happen to us because or when we are so consumed with our own thoughts, when we're so concerned with our own thinking, our own desires, our own dreams, our own prosperity without regard for others. If we do that, if we don't have a path to follow, we're going to make these same kinds of mistakes and we'll try to overcompensate and we'll be scared to death of consequences. And we're not really living free then. We may be able to make choices. We may be able to go where we want, but it kind of feels like, hey, I'm trapped. I'm trapped with all these thoughts and emotions swirling around inside me. No peace, no calm, no assurance, no confidence of the future, no real hope. No, that's not the way we want to be. So maybe this is a story, as comical as it is, to tell us a little bit about finding a way that's a better way The good news is that for such a jerk as he seemed to be through much of his life, God still honors it. And that's an important message for us, too, that it doesn't matter how much of a jerk we happen to be. It doesn't matter about the mistakes we we make. It's about thinking about the relationship and the restoring of relationship and keeping relationship as good and as intact as we can. If I can have peace with spouse or children or dear friends or colleagues, if I can keep peace with the people around me, especially the people that are close to me, then maybe I'll have more peace within my own heart. If I can have the favor of the people that I love most, maybe I'm not as bad as I think. Maybe things are not as bad as they seem. Maybe I shouldn't rely so much on my emotions or my imaginations. Maybe I shouldn't be so fearful about something that is not in evidence before me, just imagining and allowing my imagination to take me to the worst possible place. I can't tell you how many times I've run in and had conversations with people where there is an equal chance of good and bad, but they get dominated by the anticipation of the worst. So many people crush themselves in the thought that the worst is going to happen. And then when it doesn't, they're so relieved. Well, I, of course, rejoice with them, but I don't know if they had to go through that much pain. I don't know if they had to go through that much fear. And this is what I'm trying to offer to you today. We do not have to go through such turmoil and such brokenness because of self-imposed affliction. Maybe we could learn a little bit of a healthier way by following a richer path, and that is focusing on our relationships and maintaining them as well as we can. Focusing upon the good that is in our lives rather than on the bad. Trying to see where we have been successful, why we have been successful, and to perpetuate those things. Maybe putting aside some of the emotional things that have cost us so much. Maybe putting aside the self-interested ways that have cost us a lot. Maybe we can think before we act and thus save ourselves from consequences that we don't want that we already know so very well. I think that's true. I think it's possible. I think it's good. And I think it's a lot happier. I think you can find a peace and a sense of well-being. Faith, you see, comes from the inside, not from the out. 
learning a path of faith is about finding ourselves and following that way as clearly as we can, and then not allowing the stuff around us or the things outside to impose themselves in such a way that they take over our thoughts or our emotions or our imagination. When we are clear about who we are, about whose we are, about the direction we're traveling and the destination to which we're going, we can be pretty strong. We can make our way pretty clearly, and that helps us to feel a lot better. It helps us to enjoy more. It helps us to see more blessing and grace, and it enables us to sleep at night. And that's the story of the guy who had to fight all night. And how many times have we done that? Wouldn't it be nice to know we don't have to do that anymore? I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's been helpful. uh, The story comes from the book of Genesis. It's one of the earliest stories. It's the chapter 32 of the book, and that is the first book in the Bible. It's the beginning of stories of life and how we live it and how faith can help us make a difference in it. So I wish you well. I hope you enjoyed this time, and I hope to see you or hear you or maybe you to hear me. I hope to connect somehow spiritually, whatever, next week. Look forward to it. Bye-bye. Well, I'd like to thank you for being with us this time and hope that you'll join us again next time, next week, when we get together for a little more time on the road together. May it be good for you all the way through.